The Bible has in it lists of a number of different categories that exist. And I don't know if you're the kind of person that likes stuff like that or if you're the kind of person that almost wants to bristle against categories. Um, are you an A or are you a B? Are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? But the Bible describes those people who are lost and those people who are saved. The Bible describes those who are Gentiles and those who are Jewish. The Bible has categories. This past week, we had an opportunity in our staff. We, we go over uh, the text that we study together on Sunday morning, on Mondays, uh, kind of the Monday before. And when we were doing that, with this being our text, I asked this question of everybody on the staff. When rules or regulations or requirements are given to you, are you someone who hears the rules or hears the requirement or hears the instruction and, and, and kind of naturally falls more along the line of, okay, I'll do that. Or when you hear about a requirement or a rule or a regulation, are you the kind of person that goes, oh, well, now that you say that I can't do that, I really want to do that. So which are you? And, and what I was hoping that we would do, though, although it never works this way in staff meeting, I hope that what we would do is we would just kind of go around and people would, would I, I know that there might be some rule here or there, but for the most part, and I was hoping that everybody would just kind of say, yeah, I'm a bit of a rule follower. No, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. I'm a bit of a rule follower. No, it rubs me the wrong way. As we were going around the room, some people had no problem recognizing who they are. Yeah, I'm a rule follower. I really don't like those rules. Yeah, I'm a rule follower. Others began to really wrestle with it, and, 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 and I could even tell and listen to how they put it. Um, well, you know, like, I don't like being put in categories like that. I don't like doing, okay, yeah, you don't need to go any further. I now know what category you're in. Are you telling me I have to do this? I don't want to, okay, no, 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 you don't even go, need to go a step further. I know exactly what category you're in. I have had people even tell this to me. You know, once my parents said that I wasn't allowed to do it, or once those people at the school told me that we weren't allowed to do it, or we had to do it this way, they would say, it's just in my nature to want to go against the rule. It's just a part of who I am. As soon as I find out I can't do something, I, I just do it for the sake of doing it, for the sake of rebelling. It's just who I am. Now, now part of that, it's really who all of us are. There is something, I think, in every single one of us that, that, that wants to rebel at certain times, that, that wants to have our own way. That's, that's a human thing. When we go back and we look in the earliest stories of the Bible, all the way back after God created the world, um, we see this incredible privilege that Adam and Eve had um, of what, anything in the garden you can take and eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat what they do. I, they didn't have a sinful nature at that time, but there was something, and with the words of a lying, deceiving snake, what they decided to do was to rebel against God's very clear instruction. Were they rule followers or not? I think it's good for us to have an understanding of who we are and how we deal with either stories like this or texts like this, because whether you really are, are one way or the other, I don't know how you get around the fact that a lot of this book, the Bible, the Word of God, is full of 
rules and regulations. It's full of laws. And especially at a time when that is just so not the way we like to do things, it has become, I don't know if it's increasingly difficult. This is the only time in which I've ever been blessed to live. So I don't know if it's harder today than it was in the past. It seems like humans have always wrestled with allowing someone else to dictate rules for them. But it does seem to be, if you look at it historically, increasingly difficult. I don't know if you've ever studied history or philosophy, but there was something that a philosopher said years ago, you know the statement, I think, therefore I am. And a gentleman by the name of Rene Descartes, with those words, sent at least much of the world in a radically different trajectory. When instead of saying, you know, I'm going to trust those people or those institutions, those authorities over me. I'm going to trust that they know what's best for me. I'm going to trust that they've been here longer than I have been here. And so for the most part, I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to follow them. But with that bold statement, I think therefore I am, basically what he was trying to do is not just find some deep way of expressing that he understood that, they understood that he exists. He was really asking this question, how do I know anything? And he is, he is so shaped our thinking. He said, we really know, we really, really know those things that we ourselves have experienced. We really, really know those things that we are already convinced of. And that he is so deeply, I, I know he's influenced me. If there's one thing that I know I can trust, it's what I know. If there's really one thing that I really have a, a kind of a strong sense of conviction about or the experiences that I have gone through. And so when someone else wants to give a, a position that I, I don't know or I don't completely agree with, well then there's something in me that wants to fight against it. As we were going around a circle in our staff meeting, somebody said this, you know, I have no problem following rules or regulations that I agree with. That's not what's happening in the book of Acts. What we actually see in the book of Acts, and, and in part, we're, we're looking back into a time that was 2,000 years ago. A time where there was most likely culturally a lot more trust in those that that, that, that had like any kind of authority over them. But what you and I are going to do today is to, to look at this text and, and to try to see that there is an eternal element in which God's word speaks to us in such a way that even though our time might be different and even though it might be a little more difficult for us to, to come to an agreement or submit ourselves to the plans and the purposes of God, that there is still something worth fighting for. There is still something worth um, working through the hard part to find an agreement. There is actually something in the Word of God being led by the Spirit of God. There is something in our, even our own mission that would then unite us and cause us to be one and not just a group of splintered and disagreeing individuals. What we see in the book of Acts is the church trying to say, 
in light of what God has spoken and in light of what the Holy Spirit is, is doing right now, how do we make sure that as a community that we stay focused on what God really wants us to do? And interestingly enough, like texts like this aren't even preached often because we have become so, so much more focused on, well, what is, what, what's in this for me? And this text actually asks us to not even ask that question right now and to ask what's best for us. So this morning what we are going to do by looking at our few verses I'm near the end of Acts chapter 15 as we're going to be wrestling with and looking with like why it is so hard for us to agree. Why is it so difficult for us to submit? And then therefore, why is it so, so, so hard for us to be a people that know how to genuinely rejoice in what God has done and what the church has been called to do? You have your Bibles where in Acts chapter 15, Drew read our text for us. And the first thing that we see in this story is that there is, in the, the, the patterns that we see in the book of Acts, there is a difficulty for the church to agree, as we, as we probably all know from our own experiences. It is difficult for Christians to, to agree on, on topics that matter. Historically speaking, in, in America, the, the churches of every denomination formally split over the issue of slavery. They couldn't agree. What does the Bible say? I mean, really, to you and I, it is just so clear. But in that period of U.S. history, they, they looked at that very particular issue of slavery, and they looked at the Bible to some degree, and they couldn't agree, and so what they decided to do was split. So there are denominations that have, it's not just a particular line that divides us or groups of states that divide us both north and south, but literally every denomination divided over this particular topic. What you and I do is we, we, we look and we look back at history and how could they have not come to a, to a right understanding? How could they not know that slavery is wrong? How could they misuse the Bible? How could they misuse those verses to enslave people? It just it totally stands outside of anything that I could understand or appreciate. It also teaches us that there are like issues that are important for us to stand on. That not every division is necessarily bad. But I love the fact that the Bible gives us, and here we have a moment in time when the church's history, they are going to wrestle with and they are going to struggle, but I love this, we're not leaving until we agree on this issue. We are going to allow God's word and we are going to allow like, the movement of his spirit to bind us together. And in a particular time when it would have been just as easy for them to say, well, hey, tell you what, why don't you just be first Christian and we'll be second Christian and we'll go, no, we're going to be first Christian, you be second Christian. And instead of doing that, they said, no, 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 we, we, we literally believe, they believed that the Spirit of God and the Word of God would lead them to a united decision. They fought for it. I think that's an important lesson for us to learn today. I mean, I sure hope we've answered the question of slavery, but 
Are any of you aware that there are other topics that have been deeply divisive in our nation and in our community of faith that all of a sudden like make us not recognize maybe things that are even of greater importance or even of greater understanding? I mean, I know that when I watch the news now, and I still remember, it wasn't that long ago, where all of a sudden the idea of red state, blue state, I remember when we didn't have red states and blue states. We just had the United States. Now it's red state, blue state. You in a red state or a blue state? Tell me somehow that we've been able to understand that, that we don't have like that at church. Tell me that there's something that is actually much deeper. I'm not saying the issues don't matter. I'm not saying that we shouldn't discuss them. But tell me that we still believe that the Word of God and the Spirit of God will lead the people of God to a united understanding of what really matters. I think my greater concern is that I don't know if the church believes that anymore. I think in the end, we are so more deeply convicted by and convinced than our own opinions that we don't know how to listen. We don't know how to seek God's word. We don't know how to rightly discern the moving of his spirit. And so it's just easier to just start our own independently operated spiritual franchise across the street. And it wasn't easy for the church to come to a mutual understanding of this. It was hard for them to agree, but they fought for it. Look at our text beginning in verse 24. The church in Jerusalem hears that the church in Antioch and therefore the churches in the other areas in Cilicia are, and, and, and in Syria are really struggling with some issues. These are important issues, just like the important issues of our day. These are important issues. So what do you do when they're important issues? You deal with them. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds. See, as soon as we heard that people had gone out from us, we hadn't sent them, but they went out from us. They decided, and what's very interesting, a great lesson that we can learn from this text is is that there is a sense in which authority matters, and authority is something, um, biblically speaking, whether it's like popular in our culture or not, God has given authority through his word to people to, to lead his people. And the church recognized that there were people that went out, and they didn't have our authority. And they began to speak, and those words unsettled you. And instead of just going, oh, well, you know what, they'll figure it out. The church in Jerusalem decided, no, we heard that people have unsettled you with, with words. We know that the people have been begin to really kind of shake up your thinking. And, and by the way, it, it's, a, it's a complicated topic. How do we as Christians remain obedient to God's word as it seems to change over time when God speaks to Jewish people and, and now God is speaking to the entire world through Jesus. Here's what God said at Mount Sinai, but here's what he said when Jesus was preaching from the mountain of the Beatitudes. And how do those things fit together? Didn't Jesus say, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, how do those two things fit together? The church cared enough to not just let disagreement continue, but to say, no, we're coming together and we're going to figure this out. So as I shared with you last week, 
I'm becoming increasingly concerned that the church is not wrestling with, and by the way, I mean me, like I'm not wrestling enough with what it means to be confident in God's word and God's spirit and, and, and humble at the same time. And that's why I need texts like this to give me a sense of encouragement in terms of what God's word is going to do. They have given you words, they have unsettled your minds, although we gave them no instruction. So therefore it seemed good to us, having come to one accord. They didn't vote on it. You don't vote on these things. You you go to the word of God and the word of God speaks. You don't vote on it. You you can actually see. Peter stood up after hearing from other people describing who Moses is and what Moses did. But Peter stood up and said, listen, but you know that the Holy Spirit came and told me to go to Cornelius' household. We know that the Holy Spirit baptized in the, in, in, uh, before they were ever like circumcised. We, we know that this is what the Holy Spirit has done. And this is where the Holy Spirit is leading. And that began to help them understand what the Old Testament was doing. And they, they debated and they debated and they talked and they discussed. They didn't just let their brothers and sisters of a different agreement or a different decision to go out in disagreement they fought for it so it seemed good to us now that we have come to one accord to choose men and to send them with you or sorry with our beloved brother Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we have sent therefore Judas and Silas. So not only did they send Barnabas and Paul, who the church at Antioch would know, but they sent two other leaders. This is a a deep understanding of how the Bible says that there must be witnesses, more than one witness. So I'm going to send you Barnabas and Paul. We're going to send you people that you know and trust, but we also want you to know that just in case any of you begin to wonder, especially maybe those that aren't happy with the church's decision, we're going to send Judas and Silas as well. The Old Testament teaches in the book of Deuteronomy that on the testimony of two or more witnesses shall something be confirmed. So the church in Jerusalem wants the church in in, in Antioch to know this is what we believe God's word says, this is what the spirit says, and therefore this is how the church needs to be. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. And what's interesting is that Luke goes into great detail saying that Paul and Barnabas stayed there a long time and that Judas and Silas stayed there a long time and encouraging them and helping them. Because why? Because it's still difficult to agree. There is just something naturally within us that just wrestles with that and struggles with that. See, one of the reasons why you and I look at a text like this and we don't really get any tension is because we're already on the side of of what the church was going through. We already get it. But how important is it for us in in times where there is disagreement, in times where there is disunity, in times where people are already convinced that the most important ideas are my ideas, and more valuable than any kind of unity within the body of Christ is me getting my way, How critical is it for us at times like this 
to look back and see how the church decided things and things and how the church worked through things to say, listen, like we need to fight for, we need to, just like the early church went back and looked at the Bible, just like the early church went back and looked at the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we need to follow their pattern, believing that God will bring us to one accord. And therefore, we don't just take our ball and go home. And we don't just casually let a brother or a sister or a group of brothers and sisters just walk away. But we fight to remain one. I know it's hard and I know it's difficult. But our witness in the world is one of those things that's at stake. Now there will always be things that we can not control. And Paul in the book of Romans actually says, as much as it is up to you, live at peace with all. But I I think in this increasingly just splintered apart and divisive world, how much more important is it that we look at our brothers and sisters across the street and across the aisle and say, listen, like we got to make sure that we do not just walk away when things get difficult. And therefore, we need to have a deeper understanding of of how God works and how God's word, particularly how God's word influences our attitudes and behaviors. In the the 1850s and the 1860s, there was that topic of slavery that divided all of the churches. Over the next 30 or 40 years, though, every denomination split. Again, something that was known as the battle for the Bible. Are we going to take the Bible as God's authoritative word which is inspired by him and therefore it speaks authoritatively to us or are we going to take the Bible as a highly inspiring work in which on those moments when we are in agreement, when we clearly will submit to it, is, is the Bible something like that person said in our staff meeting on Monday, I really have no problem agreeing with the Bible when it agrees with me. I have no problem agreeing with, with church leadership when church leadership agrees with me. I have no problem going along with who Jesus is and what Jesus wants when Jesus is in agreement with me. Or are you and I going to recognize that, that we are not here on our own terms. That what unites us is not the fact that we all just seem to agree, but that there's something much deeper that the Word of God and the Spirit of God is creating within us, which is one new community of faith in which there might be disagreements on certain issues, but what holds us together in terms of our greatest, greatest, greatest unity is the person and the work of Jesus Christ and God's Word. So there's no confusion. This church is a church that is deeply founded, always has been deeply founded on the authority of God's word. And the agreement that we strive for is based upon our understanding to the best of our ability as the Holy Spirit leads and guides and directs us to be faithful to the word as we understand it. 
this isn't, we live in, we live in, a, in a time where every single one of us are so, so skeptical of any kind of authority. And how are you trying to manipulate me? And how are you trying to exercise your authority over me? And that kind of thinking is what is so destructive to a group of people that are called by the Holy Spirit to be devoted to his word and to one another and his mission. These words sound so strange in our ears. Why is it so hard to, to disagree? Because every one of us feels like we are completely entitled to our own opinion and we are completely entitled to, to maintaining that. We're completely entitled. We are so entitled. And no one has the right to tell me and no one has the right to, to, to order me and no one has the right to command me. Realize what we've lost. You realize that this, it, is, it is, I would argue, impossible for us to ever be, especially in a dark world, the kind of light when we can't even agree on how the Bible speaks authoritatively into our lives. I, I selected a series of, of, of just verses from 1 Timothy. I think about this a lot because it's difficult to agree, and the church at Ephesus was struggling with this, and so Paul asked Timothy to stay at Ephesus to help them to come to an agreement. I, I really get concerned that this concept of just voting and then just splitting, let's vote and then split, let's vote and then split. Let's just, let's just vote, and then you go your way and I'll go my way. And what Paul didn't say to Timothy was, hey, why don't you go and have a vote? And then after you're done voting, just send people on their way, and then, no. Paul, Paul seems to instruct Timothy that it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard, therefore I'm going to put you in a position, and he was young at the time, I'm going to put you in a position of authority to fight for, to, uh, to continue, to call God's people, to submit themselves to, to God's word and to God's instruction. Look at these words that come up in 1 Timothy. Do they not just sound strange in our modern context? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 says this, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, which would be the church we know in Philippi, to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Well, who's Timothy to say what doctrine is? Isn't that something we decide on our own? Not biblically. Biblically, doctrine isn't something that we just decide on ourselves. The, the doctrine, the, the word of God, the truth about who God is, is revealed by God to his prophets, given then to his people. And that is so countercultural. That so rubs against, and obviously, not just 2019, but in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Paul didn't say, hey, Timothy, go back, and the good news is, Man, people are so simple today, they just agree on everything. No, Paul says to Timothy, I want you to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He continues on, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Command and teach these things, but they don't want to listen. They never want to listen. 
They never want to listen. That part is the same all throughout history. It might be a little more then. It might be a little more difficult now. But Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things, knowing very well that not everybody wants to listen. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 7. Command these things as well. There's a lot of commanding happening in Ephesus. Why? Because there's a lot of disagreement. So what do we do? Vote and then move our separate ways. You know what we do? We go back to the word of God and we trust that by his spirit he will lead us to the truth. We go back to what God's word has said and by his spirit he will lead us to the truth. And, and hear me, I get it. Right now there is so much skepticism in this room you could cut it with a knife. Jim, like that just sounds so overly simplistic. Listen, I know. You don't think I'm writing this message going, wow, this... I'm as skeptical as you are. It just seems to be that's what God's word says. So I can either just sit down right now and we can just take a vote and then move on or we can allow God's word to kind of move into our uncomfortableness kind of as it pushes and it forces me to to strive for agreement, to, it pushes me to believe that God's word is authoritative. It pushes me to believe that his spirit will still lead and guide. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 2, teach and urge these things. And then this is the one that I find so interesting. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. But, but Paul, like they're rich, they're just going to go across the street. You don't know that, Timothy. You don't know that. You know what all these texts seem to believe? That just overrides, I'll throw myself under the bus, my skepticism is that the Spirit of God is at work in the people of God. And the Spirit of God does lead us towards agreement. That the Spirit of God is what does unite us. And that the Word of God does unite us. The fact that there were a whole bunch of churches that could figure out that slavery was wrong. The Spirit led them to that understanding. That a whole bunch of churches could understand that God's Word was true. And and it led them to that understanding. The same thing is true today. There's a whole host of new topics and new challenges and new difficulties come And instead of us retreating, and are you a blue church or a red church? When that day comes, tell me that we know that we're so much more than that. And what defines us is not our particular viewpoint on any one issue. And I know it's more complicated than this, but it is foundationally upon God's word and upon the sending of his son who is our savior, that we are saved by grace, and then we work from there. And that's what they did in Acts 15. There's no way for us to have agreement without submission. Why is it so hard for us to submit? Well, it's easy because we all want to have our own way. So usually what we do is we relegate submission to certain people within society. Right? So you have those people that rule and then those people who submit. There are those people who are the bosses, and then there are those people who are the employees. 
There are those people who get to make the rules, and then there are just those people that have to follow the rules. The Bible doesn't use those kinds of terms. Like, even when the Bible does what we think might be something like that, a very famous verse, in in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, and wives, submit to your husbands. See, there it is. There's an example right there. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit. You see how it does it? Haves and have-nots. Okay, but read your Bible. Before Paul ever gets to that text, he says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit, therefore, category, everyone. Submit, therefore, who? Everyone. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. See, that's, that's a game changer. What if you're rich? Submit. What if you're poor? Submit. What if you're a man? Submit. What if you're a woman? Submit. What if, what if, what if you're the king? Submit. And what if you're a slave? Submit. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. What I love about the Word of God is it just clearly helps us see the difference between us and Him and how it unites us all together as being His children. Why is it so hard to submit? Because every one of us want to have our own way and we actually see like in this text something kind of bubble to the surface which is so interesting. Look at verses 28 and 29. This is a group of people that were deeply concerned that they were going to have to follow all of the rules of Moses. Okay, and that'd be hard. But realize that those people on the other side, they really believed you should follow the rules of Moses. And do we have to follow it or not? And then notice what happens here. The church in Jerusalem sends this. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. There's that word requirements yeah that you would abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality if you keep yourselves from these you will do well farewell the the church didn't say hey by the way you've been saved by grace that's all you need to know good luck with the rest The church was wise enough, discerning enough. The Spirit helped them understand that over this next period of time, and that list is kind of a very, there's a whole bunch that's been written on that list. What it appears to be is a concession by church leaders recognizing that for these Jewish people who have this mindset about food that has been strangled and eating of blood and the sexual immorality, we kind of go, well, that one's a little bit weird. Realize that all of those things that were practiced in that day and age in terms of the eating and the drinking and the, the animals that have been strangled were also most likely tied to some kind of public expression of worship in a cultic temple that actually involved uh, a relationship with a temple prostitute. Why? Because they were trying to get the gods of fertility to bless them. And the God of Israel was totally different than that. So sure, every time in our, in our history, in the church has recognized like what's wrong about sexual immorality. But notice that the church didn't just leave them to themselves, but instead said, no, we recognize that for these two groups of people to come together, we're just going to do our best to love one another enough, to, to care for one another enough, to, to submit 
So instead of it just be you getting your way, saying this to both groups of people, why can't we just, why can't we just love one another in such a way that we can be faithful to God's word and then recognize there are those people all around us that are struggling to do the exact same thing and how do we care for them in such a way that we don't cause an extra burden or an extra difficulty to them? See, what I love about this particular text is the response. They, they, they know how complicated and difficult this, 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 this is, but they seem to have been following the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when the Apostle Paul is trying to help the church in Thessalonica recognize how important it is that not only everybody fights for their own way, but they recognize to even to pray for and to submit to their leaders. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and that you would esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And what the church realized is that there is a theological issue here. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but since Moses is taught everywhere and since there's going to be a bunch of brothers and sisters really struggling with the freedom that you now have, can we love them in such a way as to go along with these requirements? See, this is where it really begins to become one of those issues. Do you care so much for your freedoms? Your genuine freedoms in Christ that you would risk hurting a brother or a sister and that would just be the collateral damage. Now we, we fight for agreement. We trust that the Holy Spirit will provide it. And then notice that this last thing that they do. It is difficult for Christian people to rejoice. There is so much divisiveness. And there is so much um, uh, just uh, arguing and complaining that happens actually in the church. And really what that, is designed, what that, what that energy was designed to be actually by God was, was joy and rejoicing. And churches very seldom do that, especially divisive ones. Ones that want to argue, ones that want to kind of argue for their freedoms and for their rights. They have almost no ability to ever rejoice. But look what happens in our text. Acts chapter 15, look at verses 30 through 33. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter and when they had read it, they rejoiced. <laughs> Wow, like these are all the restrictions that you have? Wow, that is wonderful. Thank you for caring. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. And then Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brother with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. When my wife and I first moved to the States, we were foreigners. And we just couldn't wait for the day when we would get a green card. You know, the, just the whole traveling back and forth is going to be a whole lot easier. And oh, once we could get a green card, once we could get a green card. Well, I've had a green card now for 12 years. And you know what it's produced in me? A whole new ability to complain. Came back from Israel not that long ago, and I'm in the airport in Dallas, and you know what, I am officially a, um, a resident alien and I hate being treated like this. Why do I have to wait in line? Now, hey, I get it why those foreigners have to wait in line. 
I remember a day when I would have been just absolutely ecstatic over waiting in a line for two hours but not have to worry about whether or not I can get in. And now I'm just inconvenienced. It's amazing how entitlement sets in. You know how you're able to rejoice? And as we gather around the table this morning, I want you to think about this. You know what really gives us an ability to rejoice and to not just always like feel put out by the rules or the regulations around us? Is when we remember how grateful that we are that God gave us this. You know how I learned to really care for my brothers or my sisters in Christ? When I remember, wow, like this was a gift for me. The church back then was genuinely able to just give thanks. Why? Because they knew this was a gift. They looked at it and they thought, really, is that all you want us to do? I would do anything because I am just so grateful. Maybe the question shouldn't be, hey, are are you the kind of person that just rules rubby the wrong way or are you a rule follower? I really think the bigger question is, are you grateful or ungrateful for what God has done for you in Jesus? Let's pray. And so God, we thank you for this time when we can come together and gather together. We thank you for the opportunity that we have now to to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. God, we thank you for his gift and I'm grateful for those people in my past that have shown me kindness. Father, give me an attitude that doesn't ask what do I get, but what can I give? Give me um, a heart that knows how to be grateful so that I would even care for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that I would remember that I'm not the only one in the room. So God, as we sing praise to your name, as we reflect upon the goodness that you have given to us in Jesus, may we see and celebrate your grace to us. In Jesus' name we humbly pray.